0: General Ray, what a handsome devil you are.
1: We're going to talk about coming from Devil's Jew. It's something you wondered if Talking Joe would ever do. I guess we'll explain it all to you. Going to take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh, oh. Hey, 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 I said hey, what's going on? It's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest-running, dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. If you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website, talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we are continuing our look at the disavowed era with G.I. Joe, issue 38 and 39, Union of the Snake, part three and four of six, from Devil's Due, January and February, 2005. So without further ado, let me introduce my co-host. It is a real American,
0: Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark. And hello, listeners
1: very good, Tim. Uh, But we won't linger too long because we are forming our very own union of a snake. Does that work? Um, A tripod. A a tripod snake. Oh, that sounds worse. With with our guest who's already pulling us into the gutter. It is Chris McLeod. I've been here for a long
2: time in the gutter and I just like to drag everyone else in here with me. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to uh, chat G.I. Joe comics with you guys. It's great to to be back.
1: Excellent. Now, I just uh, looked up when you last uh, joined us, joined Talking Joe, for a standard show where we just talk about uh, a couple of issues. And it was all the way back, episode 62, March 2020. 700 years ago. (laughs) In the before times. Yeah.
2: It was a it was a simpler time. It was a simpler time.
0: What a step back for us, Jeez. <laughs> I know,
2: guys. You're supposed to be going forward, not not falling backwards. <laughs>
0: um honestly though, all jokes aside, uh we have gotten used to in our disavowed episodes, having three three opinions, and it's nice to have uh, someone joining us for this episode to present a third opinion. Awesome.
1: hmm Awesome. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, we would, we were sort of talking before this, that I joined you on a couple of, uh, the full force episodes uh, and, you know, you talked about how you, you'd like to get on and do some talk, you know, deep dive talking yeah. about, about comics, which, uh, led to, uh, the invite to, uh, join us, uh, today while, uh, yeah, while Jay is away so uh yeah interesting to to hear kind of your background uh for the devil's due era and uh you know how that how it all kind of feels for you looking back on it these 20 odd years on what so so um how is it so what were you doing
2: how has that
1: happened what were you doing back in 2001 when Devil's Due was starting up? So, interestingly,
2: I didn't even know that G.I. Joe had kicked off another comic um, in 2001. It wasn't until, I think, 2002 that I was I was in the United States. I was working at a summer camp in New Jersey. And I was at a place called Camp Luemma, which was, you know, an amazing time. I had a great time doing it. In my first year, we would have... You have you, you like you very rarely get a day off, but we we did get a couple of days off at one point, and I went with my friend Rosie, and he took me to his hometown in New Jersey, and we we kind of hang out like with his folks and all that kind of stuff, and it was it sounds like you know it's quite chill, but but compared to like working on a summer camp and then it was like heaven going into like you know like someone's actual house um and so basically he took me to this local uh store zap comics a local comic store of his and we went inside and there right in as you walked in the front door there was like a an end cap display of all 10 of the issues that had been released up to that point um and i looked at it going oh my god gi joe comics are back out like that's amazing so i got hmm. everything I, I literally rinsed that whole display of all their back issues uh, one to ten, and um, just like spent you know hours going through those and just go, kind of being really excited. So there was like this genuine excitement for the for it to return to see these characters again. I'll never forget reading that first issue and seeing like Kamakura, um, and you know like the whole that whole image of like Cobra Commander where they're they're in like um, so I think they're in, like whatever their HQ was at the time, or if it was maybe like CIA headquarters or something, and they're looking at like drone footage of Cobra Commander is back. And, you know, mm. he like we need to, and I just remember that 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 piece of art was just absolutely mind blowing. And I was just really excited to see Cobra Commander again. Um and then it was like, right, we've got to get everyone out of retirement almost. And, you know, like the all like the faces on the screen of all the people that were going to be like contacting and i remember like seeing and obviously there was a bunch of cobra uh, related characters on the screen as well and i was like getting really excited to see who who was going to be involved and yeah i was i was it was one of those things where i was just really really excited for it and um i think that nostalgia will come through when we talk about these issues in a sense
1: <laughs> did and did the excitement for this era sort of continue through would you kind of hype for the comic from start to end do you think from 1 to 10 yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i think
2: when it it started getting a little bit crazy around this period uh a little bit kind of disjointed rudderless um yeah a little bit kind of all over the place and they, they were trying to do bigger and bolder things i think with it towards the end of the run mm-hmm. and, and I, I just don't think they really had an idea of where they wanted the story to go and they just started to do like bigger and bolder moves to kind of like, you know, kill characters off and, uh, mm-hmm. which will will spoiler alert, we'll see some characters, you know, killed off on, sc- on panel in, uh, in a couple of these issues. So yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So that's, I, I, I yeah, I was, I, I, enjoyed it initially, but I definitely, you know, once I got into it and with most runs, the, the, there seems to be like a, a jumping of the shark uh, in the run at some point and i definitely think it's happened just prior to this issue.
0: <laughs> Chris did you did you read this series all the way to the end did you read America's elite did you read reloaded oh everything trans- absolutely everything trans- transformers crossovers
2: absolutely everything um okay. when it comes to the comics i will read every single one uh no matter you know what what it is you know what it's connected to it could just be one of those like you know like comic pack-ins for example that yeah. just you know aren't the greatest quality and I'll still 100% read it. And yeah, with this, I I, I I will say, actually, when America's Elite came out, I loved the artwork. I thought the artwork was absolutely sensational. And um, just being like, oh, this is cool. And, you know, again, it kind of petered out a little bit. But um, I really enjoyed America's Elite initially for that beautiful artwork. First, first few issues, at least.
1: Yeah, Stefano
0: Caselli. Mark, remind us, you you read all of the Devil's Due comics at the time, the yes. entire time, Devil's Due? Yes, yes, publishing. pretty.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There might have okay. been, yeah. Might have let, let them build up every couple of months or whatever. But, but yeah, essentially, I was reading it uh, month to month, yeah.
0: Okay. And and, uh, and to remind viewers who, listeners who may have forgotten, I I read the first 10 or so, dropped, came back for issue 21, and then tried out both America's Elite and reloaded but didn't stick around long Mm. um neither did the comics so
1: (laughs) (laughs) did um and were you were you all in on the the toys in this era as well chris
2: so i didn't get into collecting gi joe again until again i was in you know at summer camp and in the united states we went to toys r us at one point as on the day off in manhattan and they had a whole gi joe wall it was incredible they had like parachutist models mm. coming out of the ceiling they had like a jeep kind of like it wasn't b- busting through the display but it was like a front of a jeep kind of stuck to the uh, the part where you got the figures like you know all hanging up and everything and it was it was a sight to behold they um i remember um maybe armada and uh what's the other one energon trans transformers toys were big at the time as well and they had a big kind of central section and it was the first time i'd seen a unicron and thinking, oh, wow, they've got, like, I didn't realize they were doing this either. Because I was kind of out of the game from, like, you know, the end of high school all the way through to then. I, I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on. So, um I, when I jumped onto this, after that, I started collecting. It was, like, the comic packs. And mm-hmm. uh, so, I was kind of getting back into the comic packs. But I did get some Sigma Six. But I effectively missed out on a lot of G.I. Joe toys. You know, like... um I was blown away. at the time I was th- I I was blown away by spy troops and all of those kind of things because I was yeah. like oh cool they've done a CGI cartoon I'd have loved this as a kid and uh but yeah it was a little bit kind of it was a little bit kind of hokey for for me at, at that age uh, I remember uh, <laughs> it being a little bit like yeah you know I get it and I would have loved this as a kid but yeah it wasn't it wasn't really Grabbing me, and so I missed out on a lot of like the director consumer figures and that whole era of uh, new new sculpt era, basically. Um, but yeah, I I've gone back and collected it all. <laughs> Don't have.
1: Oh, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Did you go back? Yeah.
2: Oh, I've gone back, and yeah, I've got everything because it was really easy to get hold of carded and and boxed examples of pretty much everything in that right. era. Like it, it wasn't um, super pop. Well, it it wasn't super popular, so it didn't sell massive amounts. Um, so a, you, you find a lot of like collections or you find a lot of stores, uh, independent stores still have all that stuff. They
1: still haven't been able to get rid of it. Still to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
0: Let's start comics.
1: Let's get into it. So uh, we are talking 38 and 39. The people behind these issues were Story, Brandon Gerwa. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Gerwa. Guest pencils for thirty eight, Emiliano Santa Luci Oh, I'm gonna say that again. Emiliano Santa, Lu- <laughs>
2: Santa Lucia Santa is laughing at me. Now. Emiliano Santa Lucia. Just say Emiliano Santa Lucia. Just say it.
1: Emiliano Go. Santa Lucia, thank you, Chris. I would have got there. Um do you need to do do you need to do a clean take? <laughs> I'm gonna leave Chris correcting me. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Um, Tim Seeley on 39 with Corey Hampshire Inks. Colors, Brett R. Smith on 38. And 39, Val Staples. I wonder if we'll notice the difference. Uh, letters, Robin Spear of Dreamer Designs. Editor, Mark Powers. Graphic design, Mike Norton. Production Assistant, Sean Dove. And military consultation, Andrew Swenson let's have a look at the things what are put on the front of these books aka covers let's have a look at the covers in the gallery
0: Cover of 38 it's penciled by tim seeley and inked by andrew pepoy colored by jeremy roberts uh, it is a portrait just head and shoulders of cobra commander um, wearing his battle mask, except he his right hand is up, taking his faceplate off, and the faceplate is almost completely covering his face. You can see a little bit of his right cheek and uh, his eyes. His eyes are in shadow from the overhang of his helmet, and uh, from the top right, there's a, so there's no background; it's just black. But in the top right, there's a, a burst of red light which is reflecting both on the top of his helmet a bit on the faceplate and then on his shoulders this is a this is a bold cover this is a this is a good idea and a good drawing by tim seeley Uh, i do think the faceplate itself isn't wide enough like some of it would have to go further back to like tuck in or click into place but uh uh it's this is a cover that that jumps off the shelf, and people are going to pick it up and want to buy this comic. Such a tease!
2: Chris? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I I obviously the, this links this cover links to a, a big reveal in the actual comic, which we'll obviously we'll get to later, and I won't say anything now. But when you can, when we should come back to this cover when that reveal happens, because I, there's something a few things I want to point out on it uh, because of that. But one thing I will say, and it annoys the hell out of me, and it's always annoyed the hell out of me. Why is it that we're looking at the the closer part of that lip on the front of the helmet, and yet it's it's thicker on the other side, furthest away from us? I just I, I, it annoys me how the perspective doesn't work for me for my eyes. It's like if the intention is to have like, do you know do you know what I mean? Like the lip on the front of the helmet is kind of like, it just doesn't look perspectively. It doesn't look you mean, right.
0: You mean the blue part yeah. that sticks out a little bit, like the brim, the way that a baseball the cap brim, sticks absolutely, forward? Absolutely. Yeah, so on the left side, uh, mm. on the left side, sort of in the center of the cover, yes, it is thinner, and then it, it comes forward in a V point that's not actually centered exactly. in perspective along the like center line, the the uh, the, the prime meridian, exactly. if this were a globe, exactly. of the dome of his helmet. And then on the right side, the brim uh, does stick out further. And uh, the not nice way of saying it is that it's not drawn well. Um, The thing that I do want to say, rather than nitpick a tiny thing about uh, a tiny bit of this cover, is um, this cover looks back to Marvel issue 55. Yeah. Which... Uh, rather than saying unmasked on the bottom, says unmaskings and is a Mike Zek cover where Snake Eyes uh, and Destro Destro and Cobra Commander are, are all removing their masks and you're seeing a little bit of their heads behind and there's a red background. They're looking straight on and there isn't dramatic lighting like this, but the idea of this cover does look back to that cover. Absolutely.
1: Mm my my big piece of insight for for this cover is is that it's important that cobra commander is holding up the faceplate because it's hiding his big droopy mustache um
0: <laughs> isn't isn't that mustache actually a costume isn't that part of the disguise from what is it issue 52 53 55 i'm going I'm to I'm tell you how wrong
2: that that comment is uh, later
1: yeah and I, and i know why it's wrong but but i want to say it anyway <laughs> um yeah so in unmaskings 55 he's sort of revealed with um that beret rounded sunglasses and floppy mustache look um but it's a look that he re- he returns to often in the uh idw series sorry we
2: need that as a figure we need that as like an o-ring figure <laughs> we need it as a classified figure i want a cobra commander in ridiculous disguise like that or just how he looks just how he looks
1: so yeah, it was established originally as you know he'd broken they'd broken into a, like a wig shop and whatnot and and sort of it was just a bit of a ridiculous one-off disguise, but it's, it's clearly a look that uh, Cobra Commander gravitates towards and has recreated, even if it's uh, not his actual moustache. There is a cover B again uh, with uh, Zartan on the front cover. Interestingly, also uh, an unmasked uh, exclamation mark, um, which which makes sense thematically we'll return to, to that but that's a uh you know something that that devil's due have done multiple times for the uh, cover b second printing which is to to just use uh like a splash from the interior which is what they've done here with uh, the panel of him coming out of the back of the uh is it orbco or something van Orbco? Um, uh, it's, it's all, all back i think oh you think you're right yeah Sorry, Tim. Over to the next cover, 39.
0: The cover to 39 is penciled by Tim Seeley and inked by Andrew Pepoy and colored by Val Staples. And I'm going to talk about Val Staples uh, in a minute. This cover is, um, it is not a an homage to the Kevin McGuire Justice League number one from 1987, which people sometimes call uh, Justice League... International or Justice League America, the, those titles sort of crossed over and changed uh, in, the, in the DC relaunches post-Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, but this sort of famous cover idea where you have um, eight or 10 uh, superheroes standing all together and they're looking up at you and you're, you're sort of just seeing their heads and shoulders. Um, so this is not a direct homage to that, but uh, it's the kind of cover that makes you think of that. Um, and in this sort of center front position is General Ray. He's got two pistols. And then around him are Flint and Firewall and Mercer and Shockwave and Stalker and Gung-Ho and three people covered up by the logo. Tripwire. Uh, yeah, and then is it's it Spirit? Grand Slam, I think. Is it Spirit in the back center?
2: Oh, yeah, it's Grand Slam.
0: Okay. And uh, 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 over the logo it says under new management in a yellow orange block font that matches the gi joe font and the colors in this cover um the background is this dark aqua and um there's a little bit of a haze that's knocking back uh sort of everyone behind the first two or three people right so if you if you sort of color picked the black of Firewall's hair. It's not a pure black. If you color picked the black of Stalker's mustache, it's not a pure black. This pushes them back. Uh, In in painting, it's called Atmospheric Perspective. In comics, we often think of it as the colorist is like pushing something back because they need to separate an element. And this this is an attitude cover. And when I was not coming back to this series around 2005, um, knowing that there was this new, because I knew someone who was reading the series and I'd see the issues uh, at his place sometimes. And I'd sort of flip through them where I saw the covers and I thought, oh, who's this guy who's not Duke or Hawk? And he's got white hair and he's, he's old, but he's sort of got like a conspicuously like beautiful full <laughs> head of hair with like no receding hairline at all. Orange and tan this is, as well. <laughs> the, the hair <laughs> thing is a pet peeve of mine, um, not just from- Someone drawing G.I. Joe in 2005. But in all comics where uh, I feel like artists of a certain training or generation like a John Romita Sr. or a Jack Kirby can draw old people who actually look like old people because skin and muscle hangs differently when you're old, like on your face. And what uh, younger or less experienced artists do is they'll just draw a couple lines. Yeah. And uh i i see sort of halfway that with with this general ray it's like i don't know how old he is but that is the that is the beautiful full head of hair of a of a 30 year old who's gone prematurely gray (laughs) Um, beautiful
2: hair (laughs) taken straight off some sort of animal it's beautiful it's so soft (laughs) and
0: and then and then uh val staples whose color yes val staples whose color work i like in this issue um gives it uh such such a highlight. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> you don't have to cry, him. Keep it together. Keep it together. I was chewing and I got food stuck in my throat. <laughs> Val Staples gives this such a shine. It looks like marble. Yeah. It yeah. Looks. It looks solid and not like something you could run your fingers through no. and say... General Ray, what a handsome devil you are! <laughs>
2: no, if you ran your hands over that, it would make a very squeaky sound, I think. Wouldn't it? <laughs> uh,
0: yes, it's sort of sort of a bowling ball polish. Mm. Uh, polish. Um, anyway, uh, I, I've always found this cover interesting because GI Joe at Marvel ran until '94, and it was happening during the image explosion and it was happening in the couple of years before the image explosion, when artists who ended up going to founding and going to image, were starting to do the image thing at Marvel before there was an image, you know, like mm. flashier art pages that look more like um, pinups and covers yeah. and covers that have less story and look more like pinups and GI Joe never quite did that. It, it GI Joe definitely changes from issue, um, you know, hundred to one hundred and fifty in its styling at Marvel. Oh, big um, But this is one of those covers that that to me says like this is of the post-image era because this is not a story moment. This is this is about coolness. Yeah, these guys are cool.
2: I'll say a few things about this cover. I think it's barrel barrel roll at the top right behind the yeah, I think so thing. I mm-hmm. think that's barrel roll. And I, there's a couple of things that, that stand out to me on this cover. One is. The fact that Flint is giving Ray the side eye, so we know that there's like some beef between them already. Before we go into the the issue, um, obviously, we, again, we find out what that is. Um, uh, it's pretty obvious, but you know what I mean. One thing that does bother me about this though is how they've drawn Shockwave. So you can't actually see most of his face because of his cap, and I don't really understand why. Like, I don't understand why. What is it? Is it making it so that the focus is? clearly Shockwave is angry at Ray just as Flint is um, because the other characters aren't looking necessarily at Ray Stalker might be but do you know what I mean, it's like I wasn't sure if they're all looking at Ray or some some of them are looking at us, the reader, so there's a very confusing kind of theme going on I think here for me, like I think it's all a little, again It's it's, it's it should make sense and should be one succinct thing And yet there are all these little things going on that I'm not sure work. So like, you know, Firewall is looking directly at us, and so is Mercer. But Flint, like I said, maybe Stalker. And I'm imagining Shockwave is looking at Ray, but it's really hard to tell. And I'm confused as to why that decision was made to cover Shockwave's eyes.
0: It's possible that um, that kind of hat, speaking of drawing a Cobra Commander helmet um, on the previous cover... The kind of hat is hard to draw. It's a weird shape. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's possible that Seely, the reference that he had, if he wasn't holding a hat in front of him, he maybe had a photo of a hat or a photo of an action figure. And yeah. that may have been his reference. And he may have made the decision to draw it in the angle that he already had a visual for. Right. Because he was going to be able to pull that off. And if he tipped Shockwave's head back. Yeah, uh, you know it, it doesn't look as much like Shockwave because you know the, the brim disappears because now it's in, uh, now it's aiming directly at us. Uh, but I agree with you that um, whatever his eyes are doing, we want to see his eyes. Unless
2: that's unless that's the the decision that he made. Like you're not you're not going to know what he's looking at, and that's gonna... well, you'd
0: only you'd only do that. I, I think I think the, the the power of someone looking at Ray. I think that just belongs to Flint here. Agreed. And there's nothing about the issue or the previous issue where Flint is having a problem with Ray that also suggests that Shockwave is having a big <laughs> problem with Ray. Yeah. So the reason you do this is because it's like, it's not Shockwave. It's his clone or he's a zombie. <laughs> like the reason you would obstruct him is because we're not supposed to know who he is or we're not supposed to know what he's thinking. But that's not what happens in the issue. Yeah. So this feels like a small... Uh, a small oversight.
2: I might, I might come back to this cover when we get into the issue again. I don't want to kind of spoil things before we get to them, if you know what I mean. But yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I totally agree with that.
1: Yeah, there is some. There is. Yeah, we, we get to it. The very last page of uh, the of thirty nine uh, is a kind of similar team lineup, and there's a bit of side eye going on there. We can, uh, can touch on that in a bit. Okay. Cool. Um, so yeah, what happens in the story? Let's find out with a plot breakdown. Scarlet and Storm Shadow have freed Duke and Snake Eyes from a military prison and evade the police, with support from Dana and Claymore. Zartan and the Dreadnoughts launch an assault on the Quad Military Detention Facility, where Cobra Commander is being held. Cobra Commander's counselor, Dr. Edmonds, is revealed as being Zanya. Zanya, I didn't know it was you! <laughs> and she dukes it out with Lady J and taunts her that her husband made kissy face with the Baroness. While Stalker and Lifeline try to hold off the Dreadnoughts, Cobra Commander is freed and it is revealed that he and Zartan have switched places before he was in cact- captivity and it was actually a Zartan in lockup. Meanwhile, in Brazil, a small Joe team of Glenda, Hardball, and Rampart make a sneak attack on a Cobra outpost. Inside, they discover Big Boa, Asa Negra, and several Vipers all dead. A voice speaks out to the team about sending a message as they are covered in red laser dots. General Philip Ray is installed as the leader of the Scaled Back Joe team just in time for the Joes to come under attack simultaneously. While Barrel Roll visits his brother Thomas Stahl in a military prison at Fort Hakachuka, it comes under attack from Cobra. At the same time, Cobra, led by Mistress Armada, attacks the pit. The Joes lose the battle for the pit and reach a stalemate as Barrel Roll launches missiles destroying the Cobra forces but also the pit entrance. Elsewhere at Cobra Island, Cobra Commander makes a surprise attack and captures Destro. Baroness and Wraith make off and escape, but the Knight's Raven carrying them is shot down and destroyed just after takeoff. To be continued, as the Joes drop the big one.
0: Is that like when Kirstie Alley won the Emmy Award and thanked her husband for giving her the big one?
2: <laughs> that's exactly what it was.
0: Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, Let's talk about the comic.
1: I don't know this reference.
0: You've probably okay.
2: f- filled that in yourself, actually, Tim.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. One American and two Brits.
1: Um, <laughs> I think I've, I've heard of the Oscars. I've heard of Kirst- Kirstie Alley. I just. Uh,
2: I think
0: this was the, the Emmys um... for I've heard, television. I've heard no? of the All right.
2: Kirstie Alley Viper all right let's
0: <laughs> uh very good sir um You're welcome. uh that's i i'm always um i grew up near washington dc i did not spend a lot of time there but one of the things that i know is that uh downtown near the mall uh, near the national mall that's the strip of grass right i don't mean a shopping mall um no building is taller than the washington monument and as a G.I. Joe fan, I'm sort of protective of them all because it's uh, depicted so well in Arise, Serpenter, Arise, oh. Part 5. And so the first panel of issue 38, I'm both ready to find something wrong with it. Like, are there skyscrapers? There aren't skyscrapers in D.C. This isn't New York, you Chicago-based artist, but also embarrassed that I actually don't know D.C. well enough to, <laughs> you know, if an artist gets something if the writer is referring to a specific place in DC, maybe the artist gets it right. And I don't know, maybe they get it wrong. And I don't know, but looking at this first panel, I think, well, yeah, that looks like DC. Sure. Um, but, and so I like this car chase, Yes. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you guys in general, if it's clear enough for you, you know, this is a thing I was pressed, like is the is, is the visual information provided in each panel and its progression enough? But looking at this first, I know I'm going to jump to color right away. Looking at this first panel, it took me a second to figure out sort of who was who. Which are the cars that are sort of bystander cars? Mm. And which is the car that has Duke and uh, Storm Shadow in it? And I thought, what a missed opportunity. There are three colors for cars that aren't police cars. There's this sort of like dark reddish brown. Yeah. There's the like gray. Yeah. And then there's there's this van that's got some uh, green on it. It's like, just, just make the car that duke and storm shadow and make it the one red car yeah make it stick out and Mm. uh i'm jumping way ahead to color but um if you're if you wanted one more example from our previous episode of where i was comparing uh how um brett r smith um all the brightest uh things in every panel go to white just look at panel two duke is driving this car and it's it's uh it's 3 a.m and he's in a car so there's no light over him right yeah there's some like some light from street lights that comes in the wheel, windshield and like maybe illuminates his forearms but look at his look at his forehead and his collar and his shoulders and his knuckles right that's that's like a very minty white yeah anyway you think this uh i like this car chase do you guys think it's clear enough
2: i i have to say yeah and when i first looked at the, the, the that top panel i knew what was going on but i didn't I, I knew because I knew what was happening. I didn't bother to even think about which car was which because I already like all the information is kind of given to me. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like the information's there, and then I can go back and study it later. So even though I hadn't identified which car was which, I still moved through the issue and and you know knew what was going on. When coming back to that first panel, though, and since you mentioned that. Obviously, it makes sense that the car they're in is the one that's screeching with all of the, you know, the stuff coming off the bottom of it because that's also where the, the bullets are being closely fired. Now that that's interesting to me because they're police cars and they're in a very built-up area and they're firing their their weapons. And I, I know, obviously, this is America. <laughs> this, this is America, um, but. That to me is a is a little. There's a bit of a stretch. I don't think they'd be doing that when you've got pedestrians really close to everybody. They'd want to like follow the car, get to a certain point where it was safe, and then start employing like uh, pit maneuvers and and mm-hmm. you know firing weapons and all that kind of stuff but i think you know obviously this is a a Joe comic and where would the action be if they're not firing guns but the fact there are like three pedestrians in the street like in in the way of the police car (laughs) and they're firing at them i was like wow
0: i'm also not sure having grown up near dc but having not spent a lot of time there i don't know that Many streets in DC would be this crowded at 3 a.m. Mm. There are a lot of people <laughs> walking on the sidewalk. Yes, yeah, so
2: it's a and, very busy time.
0: And I, I think, I, I think this is one of those cases where the editor, if they have time, they like rub their eyes, they leave the room, they come back the next day, and they like, oh, you know what? Like some of the elements here are sort of at odds with each other. There's too many it's like cars the col- for a stop. The, the coloring <laughs> says nighttime. The script says nighttime. The script or Tim Seeley's artwork suggests, you know, six p.m., yeah. eight p.m., eight eight morning rush hour, yeah. and and you know that's that's sort of the least of of my concern for the issue. So I having now spent eight minutes on this one panel. <laughs> let's not spend any more time on it. On page three, speaking of buildings not being taller than the Washington Monument uh, downtown. Uh, there's a fire bat flying right in front of the Capitol. And when I got to this page, I thought, at this point, I feel like the rest of the military is not being used in a realistic way. Like, I guess a Cobra mini jet can fly in from, like, the Atlantic and just sort of be there all of a sudden and catch everyone off guard. But, like, is this actually, like, fire chasing... This runaway car with two, like I don't know, enemies of the state, is this for three, like DC police mm. or like Capitol police or uh, I don't know if DC has state Mountain troopers. <laughs> Whoa, there's there's a there's an unidentified jet that's all of a sudden also there, and uh, Wraith is piloting it, so. You know, I, I think one of us would have said Raids technology can't extend to the jet he's sitting in, but it's like, I just need one line where Destro's like, Good thing your prototype, <laughs> uh, make the car or plane you're sitting in also stealthy is working, and like the government I, I think, doesn't know that you're in DC, like spying on this chase. Yeah, I but think on that, that comment
2: though, Tim, I think isn't the point that Cobra have got full like dispensation at the moment, isn't that what's happened here? Don't they have like kind of a little bit of leeway in the uh, in the storyline at the moment? Like the uh, the Joes are the bad guys almost, and and Cobra have got like some sort of control.
0: Mark, am I am I embarrassing myself by not remembering what happened three issues ago again? Well, like the jugglers,
1: they're kind of working in a bit of a nefarious way, aren't they? And they've sort of dismantled the Joes, so possibly uh, possibly they're they're also supporting Destro in his uh, in his. Efforts. Guys, look at look it. It's reaching.
2: In the, in the. Uh, well, I'll, okay. But it says here in cold blood, but with Cobra operating with impunity, the Joes can't afford to go quietly, even if it means defying their own government. That Fair suggests enough. to me that no. Cobra have impunity and that the, they're part of the government
0: strategy. Well, we'll, I, we'll take that I, one. I apologize for getting this wrong.
1: It. <laughs> <laughs> that that sequence though did confuse me a little bit because there's like these sort of jagged call outs which is a you know kind of like like a like they're talking on a radio or something. Mm. And there's a box where um, I guess Scarlett is saying, "What's the plan of the moment?" And then I think it's Duke saying, "We keep moving and shift the plan from escape to retrieval." I'm calling in the second element now. Uh, and then the next box. You're certain of this, and I think that's shifted now to Destro yeah, talking to, yeah. uh, to 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 So, so it's not clear. I, I think um, some, think some of that could have been a little bit clearer. Clearer. I also had a, just an observation about this this sequence that um, Storm Shadow is using a gun and uh, using it rather expertly because he's shooting like a string. It's, Win- yeah, Win- it's one of those washer window platform. washer platform. Yeah, window washer platform. Great. And yeah, doing it very expertly, you know, pack pack snaps, snap spring, it falls, crashing, slam crunch, lots of effects, all of all the effects is going on there. (laughs) And I'm just thinking, have we actually ever seen Storm Shadow using a gun as Storm Shadow? I'm thinking, even well, even uh, even in the flashbacks, he's mostly shown using his bow, isn't he? But um. Hmm. He he, do, he does have he do, yeah okay. on the LLRP he does the, yeah. he does have a a gun but um, as Storm Shadow I don't think we've ever seen him use hmm. a uh, a gun.
2: If we have, it's been a oversight. You know, it's been one of those things where like they had someone else in do the do the the writing or the artwork or something, and it's it's one of those things that you know just snuck through. But I um I yeah I think it's weird it's weird to see him with guns. Um, also funny that Duke is like. I love that there's there's almost like a juxtaposition of two panels here where it's like uh, Duke is stopping Storm Shadow from using a gun, basically saying, We don't shoot cops, da da da, if you're serious, yada yada yada, right? Like basically saying, Do not use that in this situation. And then Scarlet on the motorcycle is like, Did you find the gun I hid for you, (laughs) snake? So it's like two different, like, good guys, basically with two different moral standpoints with guns. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to.
0: I'm going to pull uh, an obscure reference uh, here that everyone will love. Um, at the bottom of page one, Scarlett's riding this motorcycle and Snake Eyes is on the back. And his body language was very strange to me until I figured it out. He's He's got his hands against his head as if he's panicking, <laughs> like, Gleep, I can't buckle my seatbelt on the back of this fast-moving motorcycle. And I thought, that doesn't seem like Snake Eyes. And then I, I realized, oh, he's putting on his mm. his costume, and then in the next panel like now he has his gun so we're seeing the final 2% of him cuz when we saw him in the previous issue he was in prison togs with no mask um locked up in the back of a van and so oh between issues scarlet tosses him his costume and this reminds me of um on uh the Warner Brothers DVD for the 1989 Tim Burton Batman <laughs> uh there's a bonus feature which is a reconstructed animatic of a scene that was written for an earlier draft of that Batman movie, but not filmed. And uh, again, this is not, uh, they took the storyboard, right? The scene was written and storyboarded. It was not filmed. And for the DVD, they scanned each panel and sort of made an animatic out of it by getting a couple of voice actors to record dialogue and reusing some music already in the movie. And it's a scene which introduces Robin, uh, dick grace and robin and there's a moment where bruce wayne is chasing the joker the joker is driving away in a van and bruce wayne is on a horse that i think he's grabbed from a cop and this car drives by and alfred tosses bruce on the horse a little satchel and bruce says thanks alfred <laughs> and then, like two panels later or two like moments later the Joker looks in his rearview mirror and Batman is on fully, a horse. Fully dressed, yeah. And he says, oh my God, how does he do it? And I think, like, okay, in the comics, it, it belies credulity that Bruce Wayne could change into his Batman uniform, it, like in his 1989 costume, which is very much just like fabric. But the movie costume, rubber. which is armor, right, which is rubber. Um, so uh, when I, I show that scene to my students, not for that reason. Uh, <laughs> and so I thought, hey, Snake Eyes is doing that Bruce Wayne thing from that scene from Batman that didn't get filmed. Okay, uh, next scene. What do you guys think about, uh, what you guys say, think about uh, Lady J Tim, crying? I've got to say, it, though,
2: Tim, <laughs> the, the fact that you said that, that it looks like he's like scared or like, because Scarlet's driving badly or you know like she's like you know being really dangerous now i can't unsee that because when i first saw that i just assumed i assumed he was just putting his mask on but that is now i can't unsee the fact that it looks like he's scared on
0: the back of the motorcycle that's hilarious Doi. i'm sorry i'll say something
1: nice. okay so um we've we've been trying to start the shows lately by saying something nice tim tim within within that that last <laughs> that last discussion i'm trying to find the right noun for it uh was uh, did say that he enjoyed uh the this sort of chase sequence so i'm, I'm taking that as a a tick in the positive uh box i thought um, the
2: pacing was good in the first few pages on that though like the the whole action and everything. It, it, yeah. I it, mean, it was a
1: good, and it sort of put me, it put me in the mind a little bit of, um, these snake eyes movie as well. Some of the, you know, the, the, yeah, some of the, I guess the highlights of that movie were the, the cool sort of chase sequences on the, on the bike and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, sort of in a tunnel, sort of the bike flipping and him jumping on a, on the back of a, a a car, that seems something I love the, like, do you love very the much like out of the film.
2: I love the dialogue between Duke and Storm Shadow, where he's like, I see what you're thinking, but 20 bucks says you can't pull it off. And he's and he says, you know, falls bet, keep the wheel steady. And then what it, it, it happens, and he says, Mind if I write you a cheque? And he says, Keep your money, we may need it for bail. I kind of like the uh, like the little bit of humor in there and the little back and forth. And it was moving so quickly, that I thought that's quite it, it felt nice; it felt good, like basically.
0: Here's my starting out with something positive. The real winner of this issue is Emiliano Santa Lucia, mm. who draws quite well.
2: He's a very good, yeah, very good. Uh,
0: great, great penciler. There are, um, he he had been drawing comics uh, for a while at this point. Um, and, you know, G.I. Joe fans know him from Snake Eyes Declassified and yep. uh, a little bit of one of the G.I. Joe Transformers crossovers. But... 80s 80s nostalgia toy animation comics fans know him for He Man. Mm. Uh, actually, let me pause. He's he's also done design work at ha- for Hasbro for Transformers toys. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Santo Lucia, when the 2002 He Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon debuted on television, uh, there was a there was a comic series. Written by Val Staples, who um, colors the set, not this issue but the next one, um, and uh, Santa Lucia drew the first miniseries, which was Image, and the second miniseries, which was Image, uh, and then uh, most of the third series, which Val Staples with his partner published as as a company MV Creations. Right, the V in MV Creations is is for Val Val Staples. And uh, Santa Lucia is one of the three principles in uh, the Power and the Honor Foundation, yeah. which is a nonprofit organization that whose whose goal is to um, collect He-Man art and artifacts like toy development stuff, right, uh, and, and 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 artwork, and to uh, share it and to disseminate it. And the Power and the Honor Foundation published an Art of He-Man book that was slapped with a cease and desist. And so you can still get it, but it's a little hard. And then the Power and the Honor uh, Foundation did some consulting on the official uh, Dark Horse comics, like Art of He-Man book. So uh, Santa Lucia is a very particular kind of sort of all over this 80s mm. core brands like nostalgia uh, rebirth stuff that happened in you know, 20 years later, and the fact that he has this kind of small association with GI Joe, like one issue here, a couple issues there, but he did a, you know a bunch of He stuff. I mean, he 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 touched up a bunch of Earl Norum paintings mm. that were like reproduced later in I think that Dark Horse uh, art of book. Anyway, back to this very specific issue <laughs> of GI Joe. Um, uh, his his poses and his perspective and his anatomy are a little stronger than Tim Seeley. And it's still not like the best and my favorite, but subtly this issue looks better and reads better. Oh, totally. And, and if you, if you, if you're not someone who can like separate one comic artist from the other, just look at this scene on the, the second scene where lady J is talking with Flint over the computer there is such sensitivity in how he draws her uh, face uh, and her hands, hands and her and her body language. And uh, yes, if you squint, this looks like a lot of comic art around 2005. And then the other positive thing I wanted to say about this issue is that there's a lot of physicality to it. That reminds me of the that other person who's written most G.I. Joe comics, that other series that we talk about. Um, there's a lot of physicality in this issue. So... Very specific, like, person on a motorcycle, punching, lunging in a hallway, throwing a, a makeshift uh, knife, slamming someone's face into a, a, a glass wall, cutting a hole in a wall, a door falls down. Um, there's not a lot of, like, people, like, jugglers standing in a room talking. Yeah. Or, like, Joes standing in a room talking. Or Joes, like, huddled together before they... Run into a building, all geared up in Brazil or somewhere, talking.
2: Yeah, the, he's made, mm. even managed to make this uh, Zoom call on a laptop quite dynamic. <laughs> I, I love, I love how he's drawn her hands. They just, it just looks, it, it, it looks so natural. Like I'm, I'm doing a similar thing at the moment. Like the, in, in, you know, my fingers are hovering over the keyboard for a second.
0: You're re- reaching towards us, yeah. On and no, computer, I'm,
2: like, crying because I love you <laughs> so much. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I really like that, and I love the fact that she calls out that that's Lifeline and, uh, Stalker. and Stalker. So uh, yeah, Lifeline, and the fact that yeah, straight away you can identify them in the on in the beds like boom boom, awesome. So yeah, I it's, I, I'm, I agree with you. I think the uh, the artwork's gorgeous.
0: Also, sorry, um, pencils pencils only. Yeah, yeah. This totally. issue. So. This issue was not inked, which, uh, you know, it just means he had to, like, pencil that much tighter if they knew they were going to color directly from scanned pencils. Mm.
1: Wow, that's amazing, actually. You would not guess that. That does not look just pencils, does it? So that you looks...
0: you can tell um, the, the panel where um, Lifeline is lunging towards the closing door. Uh, the shadow under the door is, like, scratchy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you can see it uh on the next page the shadow that's being cast on buzzer's face and then the page after that this starts to look like ink and maybe some of this is inked i'm not sure but the shadows on general ray's face the page after cobra commander is freed
1: yeah Mm. interesting yeah um so so i'll I'll try and channel a a message from our missing co-host Howdy, Joe fans! Jay Cordray here. Yeah. Oh man! Oh man! There's a girl crying again on the panel here. So, um, so Jay, there is is observing that that yet again we're seeing a Joe female Joe character crying uh, on. In, in the issue it's, it's sort of pointed to it maybe not ringing true or sort of you know not being ringing true to the characters but
0: or being inconsistent or being in, yeah you know maybe flint is having just as hard a time but men don't cry i was gonna say that yeah mm.
2: i hate he's I, made I do, of flint I, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like yeah it's a funny funny old thing that in it the toxic masculinity that runs through our uh, our world but um yeah again a bit a bit of other of, of its time in that sense i don't think you see it as much now yeah especially with sorry especially with larry um doing it like he, he would be very uh, aware of that now i think
1: absolutely um my um my big positive for this one my, my say something nice was going to be uh just pointing out that sequence with the dreadnoughts i thought it was a really good use of the the dreadnoughts it was a, a cool action <clears throat> sequence um, and we see Monkey Wrench use his harpoon gun in this grisly fashion and made me think, oh, that's a harpoon gun. I would never have actually guessed that. I would have thought, you know, originally I thought it was like, is, what is it meant to be? It's like a weird tripod laser thing. Um, and And, you know, Ripper rips someone apart with his... You know his giant giant blade and buzzers using his chainsaw on a door. So it's not just that we got the dreadnoughts, but that we're using them, deploying their particular, you know, specialities uh, to to cool effect.
2: I could see Monkey wrench afterwards and talking, and I could see him saying to everyone, "I killed a guy with a trident." <laughs> That's what I can see him doing I, at the end. As of a
0: kid, I, I didn't I didn't realize that the 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 trident. Might be spring-loaded and shoot out of his gun. As a kid, I thought it was, it like glowed and would shoot electric bolts. Because mm. <laughs> um, I, th- I think, I think in one of the episodes, in one of the like right. arenas of sports, doesn't isn't that a weapon that Duke gets, like a glowing, yep. like a tr- glowing trident? It's a trident, yeah. Uh, how do you guys feel about Lady J drawing a little cartoon on a pad of paper where she is bonking? Who's the, the doctor's name again?
2: <laughs> Zanya. Where she's <laughs> she's, Zania. She's,
0: bonk, she's bonking the woman <laughs> who is actually Zanya in disguise uh, on the head. I'll answer my own question as a as something to be happening in the panel, so that it's not just a person standing there talking to someone else. I like it. She's got a prop. She's doing something. Yeah. Or she's done one, something with it. Um, it's it's a little distracting because oh, Lady J draws? Lady J draws little cartoons. Hmm.
2: That's new to her character, yeah. She's uh she's got a little children's book on the way.
1: Never finished.
0: And it's not that it's not that she can't do that, and and it, it does give her something uh to do, but it uh and it, it it's funny. And like it's it's you know, it's I'm not even gonna be as serious as like I I don't this is a serious scene. It can't be funny. It's not that. It's just a little to the side of mm. sort of G.I. Joe and this character.
1: But it, it sets her up as you uh, holding a, a pen so that she can totally shiv Zanya in the neck with it. Yeah, a couple but you of could pages have her... Over.
0: You could just... I don't know. You could have... Uh, I mean, yeah, but she doesn't have to have drawn a cute, well-drawn cartoon of her bonking this person on the head or already <laughs> so holding like a pen that she then uses... Uh, as a shiv.
2: <laughs> By the way, I just had a quick look at the Monkey Wrench um, original vintage figure, and on the card um, where it shows, you know, the um, what do you call it, the uh, accessories description, just right. to the just to the right of the figure as you look at it on the card, bottom right, it says harpoon gun. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, and obviously when you look at the weapon, actually, the the reel at the bottom would be where the where mm. it kind of automatically rolls up the uh yeah the kind of wire for it or the 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 cable or whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. um, that would require yeah, so it would come back. But I don't think he's ever used it in that way in any of the media until that moment. I could be wrong. I could be wrong in that, but I've got a feeling this is the first time we've seen the harpoon gun used in that way. I think
0: I think that's correct. I can imagine this is one of those cases where can't you imagine that I have no inside information, but can't you imagine in an earlier era of GI Joe, if a comics writer had suggested doing that, someone at Hasbro might've said, no. Yeah.
1: Too grizzly. Yeah.
0: And interestingly, you can imagine, you know, Josh Blaylock was getting so much pushback mm. from Hasbro in this era, not to be too sexy, not to be too um, violent i'm i'm surprised that this scene that this panel does happen and you know it's it's all on silhouette which sometimes makes it worse
2: yeah
1: yeah they might it might have been a period where where he got a slightly better working relationship with hasbro where the person running point was uh, allowing things that maybe the maybe the p- a
2: first a long person over hasbro so it could
0: have just it could have just been a switch in in whoever was dealing with it. or they suggested something worse like oh it goes through the guard's head it's like no, he, <laughs> oh my gosh you can't do that like oh well how about just goes through his chest like well like, <laughs> yeah, that's a
2: technique isn't it
1: like, yeah i'll give i'll give you two, uh, dear hasbro can can i shoot this harpoon gun through this guy's genitals and uh, <laughs> rip them off or can i just shoot him in the chest i mean it's your it's your preference which, which which one you like to give me to go yeah, definitely the chest one
2: <laughs> <laughs> Basically, we want Monkey Wrench to collect a load of genitals and wear them <laughs> around his neck on a necklace. Yeah, or... I mean his
1: necklace has got the two prongs for four genitals to be hung on, so it's uh, empty at the moment to be filled.
0: I don't know about you guys, but I stopped listening twenty seconds ago.
1: <laughs> Good
2: idea. <laughs>
0: all right, so there's this there's this scene. It sounds like we all we all like this scene where the Dreadnoughts with Zanya show up and they release Cobra Commander. And he asks a, a sort of weird, vague question. And then Zartan uh, enters the scene and he's standing in a way that doesn't quite feel like Zartan. And notably, he's wearing this full gas mask. So I guess his his condition that we saw back to, in issue one has, has progressed and he needs to completely cover up, right? Or, or something else is going on. So then we cut to Washington, D.C. and... Uh, ray's meeting with the jugglers and it's explained what this is in the next issue mm-hmm. but i was wondering on the bottom of this page this is in 38 where general what is his name riggs briggs thunderbolt ross
1: thunderbolt ross that's right <laughs> um,
0: he pushes a button and Gibbs. Uh, uh, Gibbs, thank you uh, a hologram shows up blip And Ray seems a little surprised. I think I see what you're getting at, General Herring. And I couldn't agree more. New leadership is exactly what the G.I. Joe team needs. And then we see Wraith is in the room. And I thought, oh, my God, Wraith is going to kill all these guys. (laughs) Um, And it turns out, I know I'm jumping ahead to the first page of the next issue. And we're still on issue 38. But it turns out that this hologram is a schematic of the pit. Mm -hmm. And also really reveals to General Ray its location. So now Destro knows this. This is on page one of issue 39 because Wraith knew it. Um, Is this enough information? Like this hologram, when you saw it, did you think, hey, that looks just like the pit? Because I thought two things. I thought, hey, that's some random hologram thing that's going to be important later. And someone will tell me what it is later. And B, I thought, oh, is this the Tempest? (laughs) <laughs> because Cobra has been talking about this yeah. thing that Mindbender invented, and like no one's shown it to me or said what it does, which doesn't at this point doesn't quite feel like stretching out drama. It feels like an oversight. And mm. here's this important geometric shape, secret weapon, room, uh, space station uh that the juggles, jugglers are looking at, and no one says what it is. I feel like this is sort of the wrong dialogue for this for this panel, not that you need to say exactly what you're doing, or if you hold an object, you need to say, like, I'm holding this object. But I sort of feel like the dialogue here is, uh, General Ray, I give you the pit. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is sort of the wrong note. Like, it's a good idea. Like, I'll, I'll, we'll show the readers the pit. And it's a kind of irony where the readers know something that the characters don't. The readers know that it's the pit, and oh my goodness, Wraith is there. But the characters don't know Wraith is there. Like, oh, tension, tension.
1: I didn't um. know Wraith was there either.
2: <laughs> I was going to say exactly the same thing. I, said, I like, "Yeah, it was um, only
1: when Destro described it in the following issue. It's like, oh, that's what was happening, right?
0: Oh, did you think you think that? The, do you think that this purple artwork is like? Is that part of the hologram too? No,
1: I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. It's was like it doesn't seem like it's the part of the hologram because he seems to be behind. It's not part um, of the hologram."
2: He's you know, behind
0: Ray's arm.
2: I read this. I read this page in such a throwaway thing, like, "Oh, it's just Ray talking to the jugglers." Read it as as is. Didn't even think about what that hologram was. <laughs> not not even a thought in my mind crossed crossed me. And I just continued reading. Didn't even pick up on the fact Wraith was there. And I think that's the <laughs> first time I've ever noticed that Wraith was there when you said it. And I zoomed in in that panel. I'm like, "Oh yeah." So. It would have. It wouldn't have made any difference to me at the end of the day.
0: Chris, you just said zoomed in. Are you reading these digitally? I am. Yeah, at okay, the moment so, I am. And okay. I,
2: at the time, I probably wouldn't have noticed Wraith either. I, I don't recall noticing Wraith.
1: Are your physical copies in England at the moment.
0: Yes, that means you're a bad fan. No. Um, okay, so here's my take on. Wraith I'm never more as a than hol- ten feet away from my comics. <laughs> Uh, as you've heard a couple times in this show, the issues are often 10 feet away, but the door is closed and I've got headphones on and I can't be bothered to go find <laughs> them. Um, all right. So here's my take on this drawing of Wraith. Santa Lucia has drawn the character in pencil, right? And if the issue were inked, it would have been inked. And I don't think he would have been drawn any differently. And then the color artist in Photoshop selects that black line and creates it as a fill, it's like, oh, rather than leaving this black, I'm going to color this, right? The way that the lines of the hologram are not black lines, they're like glowing white, you know, minty green lines. Hmm. And so Wraith is colored, the line work is colored as this uh, sort of dull purple, and he's transparent, right? You can see the black or a little bit of the brown uh, from the uh, curtains behind him. But I think I think since we saw such a cool texture Uh, on his costume that like sort of mapped uh, like hexagonal pattern, those three backup stories when he was introduced. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, the sound effect from the anime from like episode uh, six of G.I. Joe when, or seven, when, sorry, when, when Zartan uses his power, when he like blends in with a wall and you hear that shimmery, like blue, 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 blue. I can't do it. Um, (laughs) The, Something in the art or the coloring needs to, I think, evoke that. Even though, like, Wraith's costume wouldn't, like, short out or flicker or, like, reflect any light. Like, he's just completely quiet and completely invisible. But I think the artist needs to—and the color artist needs to do a little something in terms of texture or fill. So, like, he's, you know— 90% transparent or he's 100% transparent except for like the top of his shoulder and the top of his arm yeah just to sort of cheat it like well that's where the light's hitting him even though actually he's invisible
2: yeah I think it needs to be clearer but I think it probably would have come through a lot better on in physical copy I probably did see it when I first read it but I agree with you I think there's but again I suppose if you actually look at the panel properly as you're reading it it draws you to the middle of the panel as well so i don't know how i missed it. i probably didn't miss it when i read it the first time um but uh having reread this recently um i definitely forgot that that was the thing and definitely missed it uh completely
0: part of why i thought he was going to shoot everyone in the office is because he has this machine gun or laser on his wrist yep. and in this pose i, I think it's this like sort of stance where you're like reacting to information, you're sort of taking a step back like oh and you know one arm is forward and one arm is out and so inadvertently his weapon is pointing at these guys. It's really just his hand is up. But I think I think a slightly different sort of sneaky body language here would diminish the I'm going I'm targeting these guys and would accentuate the like I'm listening to these guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and in that scene there isn't, there isn't anything that tells us the location of the pit either.
2: It's right there. It's on the table. It's on the table. Mark. It's on the table. <laughs> there, yeah. Like, he's like, what well, this.
0: Jumping ahead to the first page of the next issue, that's one of my notes for the first page of the next issue is like, wait, Destro knows what now? Right. Yeah. Like, it, it feels like in the next issue, it feels like Blaylock, who scripts the next issue, 39, over Jurwa's oh, wow. plot. It feels like issue thirty nine, that first page where Destra says, "Ah, I now know the location of the pit," because Wraith. It, yeah. it feels like Bla- Jerwa and Blaylock are overcompensating mm. for the scene in thirty eight not explaining enough. Right. And you know, in a monthly comic, like that's a thing you can do. And this actually might be quite an elegant way of, you know, what I, we actually need. We actually need to tell the reader that Destro knows this. Oh, well, the soonest we Mm -hmm. can do it is page one of 39 because 38's been approved and it's off to the printer.
1: And I I found that that bit of speech bubble quite funny as well because Destro goes, at long last, we have done what Cobra Commander never could. Thanks to wraith surveillance of the jugglers, we know G.I. Joe's seat Greatest secret: the exact location of the pit. i have
2: known that. Seven He's done
1: hours. that. <laughs> He's done what Cobra Commander never could. He's not paying attention. Cobra Commander's has probably found out the location of the pit about ten times by this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, isn't there an issue of Marvel called Pitfall? Um, okay, so uh, De- Destro was zoom- there. He was there. Oh, dear. <sighs> yeah,
2: I yeah. have to say as well, like some of the some of this, I don't think is necessary because as a reader of this stuff, I just assume. When I'm told something, I'm like, okay, cool. I don't like ne- don't necessarily already or always question it. Like the um if Destro's saying he knows the location of the pit because of Wraith, then great. If he hadn't told me that, if they hadn't said that outright, I wouldn't have been like, how does Destro know where the pit is? I would just assume they all know where the friggin' pit is, because the pit <laughs> is the worst kept secret in the Joe like world. Like the, the location of the pit is always known and it's always It's always secretly, you know, or not secretly, it's always very obviously a problem for the Joes because it's always found out and it's always found out really early.
0: Mm. Okay, so you turn the page and we cut to um, outside of Annapolis where the Joes on the run are regrouping and we get a cameo from one of these retired Joes and uh, the, the arts on the second page of this scene where Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow are talking, or not talking, outside. I like the art and the visual storytelling of this scene, but, like, the first panel where Storm Shadow says, Snake Eyes, please listen, I thought, oh no, it's it's going to be this scene where Storm Shadow tries to explain why he's still with Cobra and why he went back, and listeners might remember that when we read that issue, uh, I, I didn't buy it, I didn't buy that scene, and... Since I didn't buy it then, this scene doesn't have a foundation to stand on. So um, this scene didn't work for me. Did it work for you guys?
1: I kind of let it wash over me. It's like, okay, yeah, we get what they're trying to do here. Fine. You know, I didn't, didn't linger on it too much. wanted to get to the next bit of action.
0: <laughs> I'm going to chalk it up to uh, they're on the run and they just took Cutter's spare clothes. But for a moment, <laughs> why did you all- think... It's like, no, Storm Shadow should be in a white winter coat and like white pants, because he's Storm Shadow. I mean, someone someone was smart enough to give Snake Eyes a black winter coat. That's that sort of speaks to his and then because but Scarlet's a woman, she gets a pink coat.
1: Storm Shadow's in a kind of Bruce Lee hmm. colour scheme though. The the orange and black.
0: Chris, you want to say anything about the scene or should we move on?
2: I I, I don't know. It's just the usual in it. It's like Tommy Tommy kind of pleading with Snake Eyes, and I, I don't know, Snake Eyes might be being a little bit, what's the word, like, unreasonable here, but I guess Storm Shadow is still trying to, like, build trust and all that kind of stuff, like, it must be a difficult thing to um, to try and do when you think about the amount of times that he's gone over to Cobra and back, but, you know, like, it's always for another reason or whatever, so I, I don't know, and, and always the brainwave scanner or whatever, so um, I... I don't know i'd have to I'd have to basically say um yeah it's it's all right, but it's just building a bit more kind of like character um what am I trying to think of saying um motivation like an intensity between the characters but I can't think hmm. of the word sorry,
1: yeah it's it the dialogue is slightly weird because i get, I guess they're saying you know storm shadow is showing saying my life has changed, I've my own my thoughts, my own will, I can choose a path myself, but is is he suggesting that he still might have some allegiance to Cobra, but he's doing it with a clear head? It's not—it's not entirely clear if he—if he is saying that that or implying that. I don't know if that makes a huge amount of sense.
0: All right, so we turn the page, and and we're in Brazil, and I think, hey, it's hardball, and I know it's hardball because of his weapon and his hat. Cool, we've barely ever seen. It's like, did the last time we see? We see Hardball in like issue 108 or something? Was mm. that like Mark Bright's final issue? Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then hey, it's Rampart. It's like, I love Rampart. Cool. And hey, this is interesting. These three Joes. And then a Joe who's a who's a like a foreign Joe character as a Joe. Like, that's fun. I don't know who that is, but that's fun. Sure was been doing that.
1: This is Glenda. She was an exclusive figure available in Argentina from Plaz-
0: Plastorama.
1: Plasterama. I was going to pronounce that wrongly. Uh, and basically just uh, a version of Scarlet. Uh, but here yeah, she's obviously in a jungle camo as um, Hardball and Rampart are in in sort of alternate jungle, jungle camo costumes.
0: And they're in sort of enough of their costume that you know who they are, but they're in Let- camo which is fun. Okay, so Rampart manages to not speak in video game talk, which I appreciate because that's how he talks in the Deke Deep episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is... Which is like fine for one line of dialogue and then it becomes a trope.
2: He's like and he's like the uh the metal head of the Joe team in in, <laughs> in the dig episodes. episodes. It's almost like the the other ver- it's like his, yeah, it's like metal heads kind of like version in the Joes.
1: How does one talk in video game? Oh, he's to like top um,
0: score, game over, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, oh he's God. like he's like, uh that's it. He's like shooting down all these missiles. Is this in the is this in the Revenge of the Pharaohs? He's like, 10 oh, yeah, points! Yeah. Yeah. 20 points! Oh, yeah. He shoots another missile. 30 points! <laughs> Top score! It
2: gets louder and louder and more annoying. And, uh, and the background lights. music... Bang, bang. The
0: background, Sorry. background music is uh, synthesizer guitar. Okay, uh, electric guitar. Alright, so uh, then they go through a doorway and uh, Big Bo is dead, which makes me sad, because I, I don't think you should kill characters, and wasn't Big Boa, like, built up in a whole issue? Uh, was it in Frontline?
1: It was around about issue 15, 16, something like that, when um, uh, he was having a fight with um,
0: Bazooka. Okay, yes. Not... Uh, wait, that is Frontline, or that's the, re- that's regular, the regular series? That's the regular series. Thank you. Okay, and then uh, you get this uh, this panel where the Three Joes are surprised, and there are these red laser sight sights on them. And I guess off-panel they get killed? Uh, I think that's the
1: implication, yeah.
0: Because uh, at the end of the next issue, General Ray talks about how the Joes who've been killed recently will be avenged. And so I don't like this page at all. A, I I generally don't think you should kill Joes or Cobras. B, if you do, it it should mean something. The way that someone important dies at the end of issue 38, like... I would be upset if that happened off panel between the end of one page and the next time someone talks about uh, those characters. So I'm frowning. <laughs> I'm frowning. This, yeah, is, we've this talked feels, about it before. This though. feels, this feels um, the, the, the mean way of saying it is cheap. Yeah. The nice mm-hmm. way of saying it is disingenuous. I'm
2: annoyed. They mention Asinegra, right? But then they put a bloody flashlight across him so you can hardly see what he looks so tell like.
0: So us, tell us who that is.
2: So Asanegra was basically a brazilian release in 95 i think it was i think it was not, i think it was a carded brazilian figure in 95 australia did that one and uh it's effectively a headhunter stormtrooper repaint and yeah that's effectively what it is um so that i'm guessing that guy on his back with the flashlight in his face is Asanegra based on the secondary because he's got like a lot of gear on his secondary yeah yeah like definitely yeah. Knife yeah, little spikes and grenades and stuff yeah so, um, yeah, it's just it's just a little bit annoying that they mention him. I get all excited, you know, to see him. And yeah, and this is just one of those things, isn't it, where I, I love G.I. Joe for the characters, the massive amounts of characters, some periphery, but, but specialised or what have you. And you're right, this is a cheap way of just getting rid of a few without really upsetting a lot of people. Um, but it does upset me because I think Hardball, Rampart, and even Glenda, who we haven't you know, would be great for, like, you know, someone reading this who grew up in Brazil, for example, and um, or Argentina. Sorry, it was Glenda, wasn't she? But, like, like having that, like, oh, look, one of the characters that I grew up with is in this. Oh, and now she's dead. It's just so, like, uh. And I, I get what they're doing. They're kind of getting some characters that aren't the main core group or there aren't, like, a lot of, you know, connectivity to them. And just basically going, let's get get rid of these guys, and it sucks. But it's it's you know I get I get it to a degree, but like yeah, it's cheap. It really is cheap. Also, the South American version of Big Boa is Kangor, so they could have said Kangor, and then Big Boa doesn't get hurt. Mm. Just saying.
0: Mm, mm. Uh, does Kangor have a different color scheme?
2: Not well. A ta- very very minimal change.
0: Is it is it a black helmet that he's got?
2: The the new version is like that, I think. In terms of the old uh, Kangaroo, the original with um, with the kangaroo in, uh, was it Force and neck Oh, no, it is a black helmet. You're right. Yeah, the original has the black helmet too.
1: Yeah, so, But then the kangaroo would have been shot as well. That no, the kangaroo sad.
2: is all right. It's outside. They didn't even realize it was the there.
1: <laughs> so then, then, he, the next- then he has to tell people that, that there's been a problem. What's that, Kangaroo? What, What's
2: that, Skippy? What's that, Kangaroo? <laughs>
0: Then on the next two pages, Dr. Mindbender starts to panic and um, Zartan takes off his cowl and his gas mask, but he's in shadow. And Cobra Commander seems to take off his helmet. And then people are putting on clothes. And is this scene clear?
2: I, I would say it, it isn't fully clear. No, but you get the idea because you don't see the face of Zartan when he takes the gear off but you do see that he's bald and you do see Zartan putting his cowl on and you see that he's got hair so you can make out from that that they're two completely different people so that is where I was able to kind of grasp ah they've done the old switcheroo and now it's dawned on everybody.
0: All right so for listeners who haven't been reading the issues along with us the reveal here is that the Cobra Commander who was in Prison, the last few issues, was in fact Zartan in disguise as Cobra Commander. And the Zartan who's been walking around with his face covered completely has been Cobra Commander in disguise. Correct. Okay. I appreciate that this change of two people changing, swapping their clothes, or half swapping their clothes, because I think on the final page, a third person is handing Cobra Commander. His uniform, there's an arm that's coming in from the left, excuse me, from the right yeah. side. Yeah, pretty um, sure
2: that's just one of the knocks, isn't it? Uh, maybe okay. hide
0: And, and you know, smartly on that top panel of the final page, uh, the the head that does belong to Cobra Commander is cropped. It's off the page. And the head that belongs to Zartan, as you said, Chris, he has hair, he has his makeup, he's putting on his cowl, he's in the background, he's, he's quite clear. So I appreciate that it gets four panels of two people taking off their clothes and putting on the other clothes and i appreciate that it's not said anywhere in the dialogue like mm. you see dr mind the person you think has been zartan this whole time has been me or whatever <laughs> like that's fun but i think it could be still clearer in terms of bodies and arms and clothing and putting on and taking off
2: totally and that takes me back to cover the cover um, and I think it's supposed to be Zartan on the cover because, like, the eye makeup is kind of visible.
1: Or being hinted at at, at yeah. any rate, yeah. And
2: then, like, there's a there's a, there's almost, there's like a, what do you call it, like a, a shadow that kind of cuts through the cheek, which almost allows the rest of the makeup, if it were, to be kind of like that little pokey bit that sticks out the bottom um, to be kind of hidden as well. So I, I think it just, yeah, it's really insinuating Zartan's uh, face on the cover.
1: hmm and what um, it was interesting about this as well is I flipped back to figure try and figure out when that switch happened, and mm. it would have been all the way back in issue thirty-one. There was a oh, scene cool. where uh, Zartan and Cobra Commander were in uh, the same room uh, with the, I think it was various characters at the door trying to to listen in, and it was after that point that they they sort of split off, went in different directions, and uh, with Co- with. The Zartan character going back to, to his, I think, Florida base and uh, the Cobra Commander going on to lead that mission where he gets shot. So, he's you know, Zartan literally took a bullet for him.
0: Awesome. So, I think this is a very cool reveal. So, kudos to Brandon Jerwa for having the idea and running with it and the reveal. Uh, I think the second to last panel where... The real Cobra Commander says Zart- Zandar is going to have to answer for his treasonous acts. That's, that's a good ending. The panic that we see Dr. Mindbender have, because what this means is that he's been talking to actually Cobra Commander, not Zartan, and revealing his hand to mm-hmm. actual Cobra Commander when he was working against actual uh, Cobra Commander. I think that's great. So I think this is a really good... You know, and in, in the letters page uh, of 38, they don't print and answer letters, they just show some uh, upcoming uh, covers and say things are about to get really big. <laughs> and yet, the final panel of issue 38, after Cobra Commander says this threatening thing to and about Xandar, the final panel is uh, a truck and some uh, dreadnought cycles driving away. <laughs> And I think that's that's a pretty good like that's a good story beat in and of itself. It's like okay, we're we're heading home now. Like mission accomplished. We broke uh, the person out of prison who everyone thought we would, but it's not the person they thought who it was. But it's like no, the much more the much more dramatic beat to end on is no more words, Doctor. I'll deal with your treasonous acts later, after Xander has answered for his end as opposed to like <laughs>
2: like okay totally so xandar is now in the, the shiz
0: um unless like you know in that final panel xandar is like chained up to the top of the <laughs> of the like 18 wheeler or something
2: or it's just uh, his head is on the ground as the vehicles <laughs> drive off
0: Uh, actually they they would have used uh monkey Wrench's uh weapon to decapitate him because they now have some carte blanche absolutely
1: leave his (laughs) leave his head sort of trailing along behind the van like uh like cans on the back of a wedding car all right
0: and then we, we come to come to
1: 38 next issue we've got script by josh blaylock i didn't actually pick that that up in my creator notes but um I think this is telling and I think it's going to be something that that we're going to get to uh, next time uh, when we talk about the next two issues. But I think it's sort of talking slightly to um, Brandon Gerber, not just being quite allowed to do his own thing, but the heavy hand of uh, Devil's Due coming down on him and sort of trying to direct his course a little bit more to to what they want. He's had a... um, an editor for a few issues now mark powers so so he's you know not not just doing his own thing and self-editing and and the fact that yeah josh blaylock is is credited with uh the script here possibly talking to the fact that maybe there's certain beats that uh, he wants to achieve here to to set up the the sort of direction that needs to to be required that from rather than just brandon joe it's because int- yeah previously in like the ish, likes of issue 25 it was uh, josh blaylock's story brandon joe was script so it's uh reversed here and possibly if the, the issue 39 feels slightly more muddled and and possibly possibly that that double hand of uh, double header on the creative duties behind the story might have something to do with that
0: my overall take is that a lot happens in 38 and it works and some of that is because uh, just the actual script flows and elements are kept separate enough. And also things are getting tied up. 39, a lot happens and it doesn't work as well. There, it, There is too much. 39 feels like two issues worth that got crammed into one issue. Mm, yeah. There's, like so many characters and physical action and movement in 38. In 39, there's all this movement but it's sort of unsatisfying or I'm a little unclear on sort of, well, where were the other helicopters or who's in this building? Mm. So that, that's that's my version of Mark saying 38 feels uh, muddled. You know it's not muddled? The colors. So Val Staples uh, colors this one issue. And uh, Val Staples, I mentioned uh, earlier when I was uh, talking about uh, He-Man, Val Staples published... Um, through image and then on his own with his partner, He-Man comics, but he, he had been a colorist, a color artist in comics. And he's, he's done stuff for all the publishers. Um, But the thing that actually sort of, I remember usually uh, he did some, um, he was doing early um, criminal uh, for Ed Brubaker and Sean. All And, and I like that as an example of his coloring, because that's, interesting flat coloring. There's not a lot of gradients there. Um, but he also, I think he colored some of those um, like X-Men first class comics 10 years ago that were sort of part of the like all ages uh, Marvel line, which are actually getting reprinted right now. And that's where he was doing more of the like sort of modern, you know, gradients with highlights. Um, but, you know, if you, if you if you want to do a quick comparison, right? You, you know, I haven't loved the coloring of um, Brett R. Smith in These Devils Do Issues. Um, flip through 38 and squint, and something in almost every panel, its brightest thing is a is a fuzzy white. And flip through 39, and that never happens. The brightest thing in a panel is usually like the green of a green tank or the yellow of a. Uh, it happens a little bit in the in the exterior scenes, but um, there there is less white. In
2: terms of like what you just said about the color, I think yeah, it's definitely a much brighter, more dynamic kind of uh, the coloring and it's definitely more kind of a lot clearer in that sense. I'm not a massive fan of the art style change. I have to say going into this one and the other thing as well, I feel like so they've tried to squeeze in so many characters in this one, which I usually don't mind, but it almost feels like they're, they're just pushing in lots and lots and lots more exposition to get a lot more characters involved uh, lots of things going on at once. Uh, lots of, you know, kind of things happening. I don't. I wouldn't say it's like completely uh, like confusing or anything. I just think it's interesting that there's a lot happening here. Like Armada is now involved. Doctor Knox, Scrap Iron, Destro, Baroness, and then you've got like Thrasher and Monkey Wrench and Doctor Mindbender and Cobra Commander and Zartan. And again, there's loads and loads. And I could keep doing this because you've even got like a. Uh, a couple of mp's in there that're very much similar kind of like to to law but um yeah just just tons and tons of characters pushed into this one and um yeah i'm not sure how i'm not sure if that like helps the story or not or if it if i don't know really it's it's, it's a weird one for me I, I definitely feel like there's a a quality drop in terms of this the the previous issue going into this one
0: chris do you feel like the the xandar Betrayal resolution works on page three. (laughs) Not at all.
2: I think it's. I think it's really brushed over. It's like you have, you know, it's you have, uh, you know, betrayed me for the last time, and then it's like, but will you be back on Cobra's side yet? Okay, cool, great. We'll stop. We'll end it there. So it's like, well, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't much at all. It was just a, I don't know. It just seems like Zartan was protecting him anyway, as you'd expect and um that was it it was fair enough <laughs> they literally say fair
0: enough in there <laughs>
1: he does Afterwards. fair enough
0: what say you that? uh we see some uh some vipers in the attack on the, on the base no uh, not Night vipers we see some regular vipers but in uh purple oh, and red yeah, yeah and uh sorry if i'm spoiling one of mark's uh i spies but since i know you're such a toy encyclopedia guy uh chris um which which vipers are these and how happy are you to see them for one panel get shot (laughs) Yeah, so
2: it's effectively it's a weird one because it's like an an, it's almost like the original viper head on this new kind of you know the the purple and uh, you know other purple pinky color um body and obviously there was a battlecore viper again like late later in the vintage era and obviously you know battlecore kind of dates it a little bit and um yeah that that it's a nice like addition, but um it's it's so like tucked away in there, do you know what I mean? Like very tightly. Again, I did notice it, but I didn't I didn't think of it when I was like given that little overall viewpoint. In fact, when I saw the first uh, panel on the other page, I thought, oh, is Saw Viper's gonna be in this? Uh and no, it actually turned out to be those kind of battlecore vipers.
0: Because you see a, a you see a hand and a wrist holding a big machine gun on the previous on the previous page.
2: Yeah, and I just I just assumed it was a saw viper.
1: They're yeah. actually uh, the V twelve Cobra Vipers from two thousand and four. The Valor versus Venom line. Oh, cool! Vipers.
2: That's even better. That's, yeah, that you're right. That is a better.
0: Chris, I I set you up for the softball, and and Mark shoved you off the plate and hit it out of the park. Well,
2: I, all right. Well, I will go and say that it was. Uh, also homaging the viper version 4 in terms of that one that particular figure but i i would never have noticed that in a million years
1: Hmm. yeah it's a a weird old design that that they they had for for that one um yeah and it's it's got sort of sort of slightly weird kind of like angular kind of touches to it so you know um but yes it's another thing of like this issue is already so full but you know let's cram in that brand new viper design that we've not yet seen in the in the issue
0: so i've been i okay so we've now read you know 39 issues of the main series and 17 issues of uh, frontline and we talk about the real american hero book at idw continued from the marvel run and i'm often trying to figure out the difference between like Larry Hama G.I. Joe stories and Blaylock or Jurwa G.I. Joe stories. And my thoughts aren't fully concrete, but this issue feels like, and this was something that I think I was talking about this when we, when we talked about reinstated, like part of why I don't like the first arc at, at Devils do is because um, too much is happening, and I think some of the choices are sort of too risky. And then I I realize I'm just sort of angry at myself because that's probably what I would have done, if at 22 I had been able to write GI Joe. I would have said like, okay, we're going to jump ahead a couple years, we're going to kill some characters, and we're going to take so and so off the grid, and we're going to put in like all the wipers that we've never seen. And some of that happens in reinstated, and some of that has happened since then, and some of that's happening in this issue, and. This issue feels like it wants to be a double-sized anniversary issue. Because look at the four big dramatic things that happen in this issue. Cobra raids Joe base and gets inside. A new Joe leader takes over officially, like introduces himself to the Joes in a two-page splash. There's a there's a sort of a capping a, a off of Cobra agents vying for power and you have this you have this half page splash near the end of the book where you know Destro's giving orders to a Televiper and he's frustrated and then you know there's Cobra Commander and Scalpel and some CGs and Zartan and Major Blood and Destro's lost right this big sort of paid half page reveal and there's this um what's the other big thing that happens in this issue like pushing forward the uh who's barrel rolls brother who's going to become a Cobra Blackout. Uh, blackout, blackout, right? The 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 sort of the second act of that, I guess, is the third act, right? He he messed up, then he's court-martialed, and now he's in in imprisoned, but is but makes his escape, right? And this sort of feels like like oh well, this reminds me of, of Devils Do issue twenty five, and this reminds me a little bit of you know Marvel fifty and uh, IDW two hundred and it's it's very easy to wave my hand and say any comic that's too crowded could have just been a double-sized issue. And the other way of saying that is like, well, the, the writer needs to pull some stuff out. Agreed. Um, but I really think that this issue wanted to be a double-sized issue. It needed to be. And then you'd have more time. And even like, it's like, okay, there's this there's this fun panel where a bunch of night vipers are... Jumping out of the back of one of the is it the aspid the cobra transport helicopter, Mm -hmm, and that's really cool until you realize like, wait are they like (laughs) twenty feet up? Are they all going to break their legs when they land? Like or is this like a hundred feet up and they have parachutes? Like, and that's that's a small thing and I don't know if like Tim Seeley was supposed to draw them a little close to the ground or if like. The mechanics of the story, like where's the helicopter? Get a little bit away from Jerwa and Blaylock here. But I feel like this is one of the things that you lose track of if you're cramming 37 things into a regular sized I issue. Admit,
2: I think that was, that was a hokey, hokey panel because it's so weird that they would jump out of a helicopter that high. And I, even in a comic, that is ridiculous. They're not superhuman, like they are literally soldiers. So. Why is the helicopter not on the deck? And they're just running out like just as dynamically. That just seems a little bit weird for me. Like if they were wearing claws, or if they were wearing like jet packs or something, then I totally understand. Some sort it. of
1: wire, no, yeah. yeah.
2: but there's no parachute going on. Clearly, it is literally they're just jumping out the back of a helicopter onto the deck, and it's so far up. Even if even if it is where it, they think, even if that goes on the gra- on the deck, the one right in the front of the panel which mm-hmm. I don't think he is, then that's still a stupid a distance. And they're all jumping out head first. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird. I don't. Yeah, I think that's a for, weird, weird choice.
0: For one panel, this comic book becomes like X-Men. Yeah. yeah. Or some other comic book where people jump out of planes because they can make ice flows or they have wings. Yes. So uh, help me understand some of the story here. So the Night Vipers get inside mm-hmm. and on that same page we see five or so joes running away towards a door and i like this bit of dialogue general ray just ordered the last phase who ordered what that's good because you know most of the joes don't know <laughs> yeah. uh, who ray is it's good
1: Sort of talking to that point that the joes don't really know who ray is yet though he's no they're their new leader and there's a bit just a few pages earlier where he's giving some orders or something we need we need a team to stay behind and lock down so uh, so we're spread thin do you copy we copy just one question sir
0: who are you (laughs) right and then and then flint says uh this is the new guy he'll be communicating from my chopper right so that's some good nuts and bolts right keeping track of of who knows what that's not overwritten that's not silly i like that i like both of those all right, so the Night Vipers get inside. These five Joes are running away from an explosion inside the pit to a door. And then on the next page, there are uh, there's this black and white Joe jet. And apparently there are two people in it, because there are two word balloons to the front and the back of the cockpit. But then when we see inside the jet, we only see one of them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but that's, that's barrel roll. And is it uh so then these two weird cobra vehicles that are flying behind this joe jet blow up and then i turn the page and okay is this is this the chopper with ray and flint and it's behind the jet with barrel roll and firewall
1: which one the there's the green chopper i think that's the one with ray in it is that what you're talking about
0: on page 15 the jet's coming toward us oh Mm -hmm. yeah okay uh General, I'm beginning my run. Acknowledge acknowledge barrel roll, right? And there's a a chopper behind them, right? So is the last phase, this is that the Joes are going to blow up the pit or some of it, or try and take out as many Cobras as they can at the entrance? Because there's this silhouette panel of two and a half Joes climbing. And I, I think that's those five Joes getting out some sort of side rear hatch, like, Yep. 500 feet down the down the way. And then we see at the bottom of this page, as missiles are approaching, uh, Mercer says, there's the chopper, double time it, as he and Shockwave are coming out of this hatch, right? So Shockwave and someone get on this green chopper, and then this gray jet that had barrel roll and, I think, firewall in it. Mm-hmm. Val Staples has done something interesting in the coloring. He has made the explosion behind the jet a little out of focus, which is is a thing you which is, is a thing that you can do in comics once computers are invented and you do it to make comics look more like film. And I, I personally don't love it, but sometimes I think it's okay. So it's fine here. But I, I read this page and I thought, I thought, okay, so do the Joes think they just took out a bunch of those cobras who were still gathered around the entrance to the pit? Did they? Which cobras got away, and am I not reading this carefully enough, or is is this sort of not does this not have enough space to explain it?
1: Yeah, it's as you say, it's it's too too much, too cramped together, and and little bit confused. Like there's there's these like um, sort of dialogue boxes from an unseen narrator, and it's it's not necessarily completely clear who that is. I think that's meant to be General Ray. Uh, he says, the clever combatant imposes his will upon the enemy, but does not allow the enemy's will to be imposed on him. And we will leave our enemy nothing. Ka-boom. So I think, yeah, this this final phase is that they will sort of destroy the pit and, and um, t- try and take out cobras with them and definitely not allow the cobras to, to gain ground. And there's uh, the on the page beforehand, uh, the, the viper's sort of notes, they've already cleared out. That's fine with me. Just means we have more time to pull everything out of their system. Looks like they started a purge. So so I think they've set, you know, the mechanics going to kind of purge the the kind of computer systems. And in the meantime, they're sort of escaping out of this hidden back tunnel ready for an explosion. And Barrel Roll drops the ordinance to take out the remaining Cobras who are still in the base, but also destroy the base so that the Cobras can't uh, take control of it. And then okay, Armada so- and Wild Weasel gets get away away dominator Dominator. okay
0: right so the the on at the bottom of page 15 the panel before mercer and shockwave emerging from the hatch it's it's hard to see but there are is it two vipers and armada and wild weasel running towards the dominator but the dominator is kind of covered up by word by Mm -hmm. word balloons okay so This is one of those cases. That panel, right? Ordinance is away, right? It's cool. You you can do this in comics. You can have all this stuff happening in one panel. You can have a plane approaching, and the pilot is saying that ordinance away is away, and the missiles have fired, and there are people in the foreground running towards a building, and there are uh, people in the background behind that smoke. I can't tell if those are Joes or Cobras. And there's some word balloons and sound effects. You can do all of that, but... Uh, you know, you got to you got to arrange all that, all those elements uh, carefully. Mm. And I, I found this scene a little a little hard to follow. Mm. Um, I did think when we turn the page, you know, I did think that the stuff with Destro sending the Baroness away, ordering Wraith to protect her. And then Cobra Commander shows up, right? In in two panels, right? Chris is Chris is right. It's it's too much is happening. Like Destro's been in charge and it's unraveling really fast. But it does make for a really dramatic turn for Cobra Commander, who's been playing the long game, to to be here and you know, taking over. But and and but this big half-page reveal of Cobra Commander standing with Scalpel. I find it funny that Scalpel's holding a pistol. Sort of like it's funny to see Storm Shadow holding a machine gun, and uh, Major Blood's got a pistol. So behind them on this big computer screen is the Tempest, and I don't know that the script, like, designated definitely that we had to see the Tempest behind them. Like, I don't, I don't actually know from the scene if that's a big computer monitor or a window, and it's sort of a mistake. But two pages later, Cobra Commander does say. Uh, excellent. Excellent. I think we spent more than enough time talking about the Tempest. Let's show the world what we can do with it. And we see he's looking at the Tempest and closer to us, Zartan is also looking at the Tempest. And so I, I think they're looking at a computer monitor. And the Tempest looks like a, a space station, but there are also some um, like chains. It looks like it's sort of hanging. So... I don't know if it's in space or if it's like hanging in a hangar somewhere. And I find it funny that after two or three issues of people talking about the Tempest and not saying what it is, Cobra Commander once again talks about it, says he's going to do something with it, but still doesn't tell me what (laughs) it is and what it does. And I, I wonder, like, okay, is that... pushing it a little bit further for dramatic tension or is that one more sort of casualty of this issue having so many elements um that that don't fit yeah and and then uh something that the comic does which is unusual for gi joe um not 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 never done but generally unusual is uh the final two pages of the issue are a two-page splash Mm. Which we don't get a lot of in GI Joe, right? The Marvel run did do it a, 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 a handful of times, um, but it's also a two-page splash of, you know, this like cool. Like I was saying at the beginning of the episode, it's like we're in the post-image era because this is just ten cool guys standing there looking cool, it's like they're, they're grim and determined, and they're they're all standing face front. You know, it's like this is a two-page spread that looks like a pinup. Like it's the artwork is the original artwork is going to sell for more money because it's not the backs of a bunch of heads or like elbows and hands. They're not far away with like a big sunset. It's, it's like a, it's a big, you know, showcase sh- shot of these guys.
1: Spirits stood in fire. <laughs>
0: Uh, spirit is definitely obstructed and, uh, I will correct myself when I was comparing the coloring of Brett R. Smith in 38 with the coloring of Val Staples in 39. I said, there are no, there are no bright whites in 39. And then I said, well, there are a few. And actually in the third, third of the issue, there are a bunch, right? When, when Destro sees, uh, that, uh, Baroness is, uh, dead and then Cobra Commander reacts and then the Joes are standing in front of this fire, in the final two pages actually there is a lot of white but i, I feel like it's used better than than in 38 anyway so how does um, how does this wrap up for you with with destro cobra commander and then and then general ray so the,
1: i guess the one of the biggest scenes there is the blowing up of that that jet with the baroness in there uh it's a quite cool scene but i think it just uh, it suffers from too many comic deaths not being real and I don't really buy for a second that the Baroness has died in that, that scene. I don't know if um, if you feel the same.
0: I, I sort of wasn't thinking that way or the other way. I was trying to remember if when I was aware of this comic in the 2000s, because my buddy read it, if this death stuck or not, and I couldn't remember. So I think it's, I think, Cobra Commander doing it the way he does it is is great. It's cruel. I think it feels a little sort of laid-on thick because we just found out she's pregnant! And and you know, I I don't think you should kill characters, and I don't think you should kill a character as interesting as the Baroness. But what the Devil's Do Run has has sort of set up is that Armada is another Baroness, and I'm saying this cynically, well then you don't you only need one of them. Mm. So um, I'm sort of more interested in the version of the story where Armada sacrifices herself for uh, the younger Destro or for the older Destro, and it's sort of emotionally confusing, or Cobra is just being cruel, and he, you know, he says, I never trusted you, Mistress Armada. Or uh, the Baroness, you know what? I think the most G.I. Joe way to deal with killing off one of these characters that's like the Baroness would be to have Baroness arrange Mistress Armada's death, but to not do it herself because mm. that's cool and steely. I also, uh, cynically, so Wraith is a Brandon Drwa character, right? Right. I can't remember from our interviews with Blaylock and Drwa if, if either of them specifically took credit for creating the character, but the character yeah, shows definitely, up. Definitely in, Okay, sorry, thank you. Yeah. So, yes, thank you. So Drwa writes the story where Wraith shows up, those three backups, and then brings him in. And- Cynically, I look at this like, well, Jerwa plotted, you know, and maybe Jerwa was like, had a cold that month. And he's like, oh, man, I can't do the final pass. And Blaylock's like, oh, uh, well, I'm running the company. I'll stay up late. I'll do the dialogue, right? Maybe this was a good thing that Blaylock helped out in this issue. And maybe it's not that Blaylock was taking it a little bit from Jerwa. But what it sort of looks like is Jerwa made Wraith and Blaylock's like, I don't want that character here and blows him up.
1: be. And then, and then this new status quo, uh, smaller twelve-man squad with General Ray sort of on the lead, very clearly set up for for that last page to sort of continue forward. And and yes, I think part of that is the the clearing of the decks. It's it's simplifying things. It's um, you know t- honing down the Joe squads, tying up loose loose ends, and and getting um, and setting things up for uh, a relaunch uh, ahead and sort of using these last few issues to do that. We'll, I think, discuss that a little bit more in the next couple of issues. But I think that's kind of what that like last panel is, is sort of pointing towards somewhat. Yeah. Shall we get on to I Spy? Yeah. I Spy with my little eye. So I spy some new toys.
2: New toys. Yeah!
1: So there was a 2004 convention set called Dreadnought Rampage which introduced a whole bunch of uh, sort of new Dreadnoughts. Some of them were sort of uh, very sort of similar looking, so, so like recolored kind of uh, original Dreadnoughts. They had these sort of Billy Bob characters sort of in, in masks, but they had uh, a few kind of new, brand new Dreadnoughts that they introduced. Um, so there was Crusher, who used the head of Zangief and the body of Naugahyde, and Demolisher, who used the head of Sagat uh, from Street Fighter, and the body of Steamroller. And we see both of those characters uh, as the Dreadnoughts attack, the uh the compound there's a very weird looking kind of jet thing that on the cobra side that attacks the the pit and uh i wasn't i didn't know what that was at all and and i looked up it is the 2004 battle hornet and it and it does look pretty much as it appears in the comic it's a very strange looking uh sort of vehicle it kind of i guess it's yeah called a hornet so i guess it's meant to kind of put to mind the animal the hornet it's got black and very bright kind of detailing of yellow and orange and a green uh yellowy green kind of canopy and it came with a a yellow neo viper as the the driver a uh, very strange vehicle it wasn't on my radar at all and then Barrel Roll is driving or piloting the Thunderwing Jet. Another new jet toy from 2004. And it looks exactly as it does in the in the panels. It's a kind of a sort of more miniature jet versus the, the classic Sky Striker. And uh, the other new toys I think we've already touched on. There's a new look in in this issue and and carrying over from the previous issues, which um, maybe just note on is that Stalker is in this kind of riot gear outfit, which um, is just a look that seems to have been created for the comics for this prison visit, not based on any toy design. Yeah,
0: I, I think the idea is that Lady J is the interrogator for Cobra Commander in prison. Lifeline is checking his vitals. And if the prisoner makes a run for it or has some weapon, then Stalker can take that hit and take him down.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a cool sequence I spotted um, of Destro putting his mask on in issue thirty nine. Did you did you pick up on that one? He sort of he's
0: yeah. It, it it sort of looks ahead to the uh, to the rise of Cobra movie where mm. they're nanites.
1: Yeah, it's like he so so it's originally he's un- unmasked and he's putting on the mask and half of it is like sort of a metallic. Kind of plate formation and then sort of shimmering over the top it seems to be like a liquid metal kind of pulling it together like yeah as you kind of say a kind of nanite type um uh, more organic metal and yeah I don't think up to this point that kind of thing had tried to be conveyed in the comics so it's um yeah an interesting panel sort of trying to bring to life how Destro's mask kind of makes it works how it's kind of got that organic feel to it, showing all of his facial features underneath while at the same time being a, a hardened metal.
0: Yeah, whether that's a a Brandon Jurawa idea in the script or a Tim Seeley invention in the art, that's neat.
1: Uh, what else did I spot? I spotted uh, the Rolling Thunder sort of targeting screen that looked very much like a game of Space Invaders.
0: I I don't love that joke. <laughs> because I don't know. it. It took me out of it. Yeah, like yes, okay, if this is 2005 and that vehicle is from was it 1988, then yes, and if it didn't get an upgrade its technology would seem really old-fashioned, but you know, state of the art military equipment in 1988 is specifically not going to look like a 1981 video game. <laughs> so, uh close, no cigar.
1: Yeah, you're right. 1988 as well. I saw, I saw just a spotted a nice little artistic detail just to the design of, of Zartan as as he appears in in 39. So um, the the page just before that splash page, double splash page. If you look at Zartan there, he's got on his cowl, he's got like slits kind of just above where his eyes would be. So it's sort of taking up that kind of black face mask, kind of those Lobo triangles kind of, and taking it up into the, into the mask via, you know, kind of a couple of slits. I thought it was quite uh, an effective, subtle tweak. To, yeah, to the I design.
0: agree. My eye spy on the cover to issue 39, uh, very small, just over Shockwave's shoulder. We see on Mercer's vest, the uh, anti-Cobra symbol mm-hmm. that premiered in the 1987 animated G.I. Joe, the movie, but it's not on his action figure. And that does show up in this issue. You can see it on the, the final page of issue 39 as well.
1: Cool. I also spotted actually that these issues, while they've been part of a wider arc, the Union of the Snake, they, they are on the cover given a title as well. So we've got Unmasked, 38, and Under New Management,
0: 39 this is this is funny this this reminds me of when i the when i was in sixth grade and i was starting to read comics and oftentimes you know marvel stories had copy on the front and also a title on the first or second page and this kind of thing would happen where there'd be some some phrase on the cover which acted like a title you know it's like what will happen to to the thing you must find out in like The Last Stand and you'd open it up and the titles, you know, the title of the issue is something like For Return from Oblivion. It's like, wait, wasn't this called The Last Stand? It's like, well, I guess sort of the cover has a title and then the story has a title or the cover. It doesn't have a title. It just has exciting words to get you to pick up the book.
1: <laughs> it, it, it is a nice touch, though. I do. I do like the fact that he's, he's sort of giving uh, all of these these issues their own ind- individual titles. I also spotted in the back of 39, there's a an interview with Tim Seeley and also a little new story about New Hack Slash coming out in March. And it's uh, just sort of talking to, to sort of more going on in uh, Tim Seeley's career beyond just G.I. Joe. So during 2004, as he was Working as the artist for these issues, he also launched Hack Slash as a writer with uh, Stefano Caselli on on art for the original one, and uh, yeah, he sort of releases a series of uh, one shots before then uh, mini series and ongoing series uh, for for this creator-owned, creator owns creator creator owned series of of his uh, Hack Slash. I guess li- looking to the future and realizing that you know building his own IP is going to be the key to longevity and uh, <laughs> a pension pot.
0: And and Hackslash got optioned as a movie later on and had one or two successful Kickstarters. So that seems to bear out. Um, I had a little I spy in the back of 38 on the Devil's Do news page. There's the Devil's Do logo uh, and it says, Happy birthday. And the blurb describes how it's been one year since Devil's Do. Returned to its roots as a strong, solitary, independent publisher. Hmm. And it doesn't use the word, the term Image Comics. But what it's saying is, hey, remember we launched with Image with, you know, with G.I. Joe in 2001. And then at issue 25 or 26, we, we stopped publishing through Image and we started publishing on our own. It's been a year and then they say, uh, actually, solitary is the wrong word, since in 2004, Devils do found allies and fellow wandering iconoclasts, Udon Studios, Dynamite Entertainment, and Studio Ice. So other, other studios that either helped them or have also published on their own.
1: Hmm. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming.
0: I have two error detecteds. In 39 on page one, Armada's jewel is again the wrong color. Uh, and we we do have a return on the second page of 39, a reminder that her jewel is a video camera because Cobra Commander is talking and yeah. Destro in this sort of point of view shot, like looking from sort of the height of, of a person's collarbone yeah. uh, is on screen. Uh, my other one. Uh, so this actually links back to uh, issue thirty-seven from our previous episode. In issue thirty-seven, that thing you just talked about, Stalker has this sort of guard armor, this prison armor, like mm-hmm. riot gear, and it has uh, like like torso armor or chest armor. And in thirty-seven, it's dark gray. And in issue thirty-eight, on page thirteen, they know that there's a there's a prison break. And so Stalker has this line where he says, we're splitting my armor because I don't want you to get shot. And it's a little hard to tell because Stalker's chest is drawn dark because he's wearing like a black shirt or whatever. But in this moment, Stalker has the helmet and like the gloves and the like baton and Lifeline has the the torso armor. Uh, But his torso armor is colored white Mm -hmm. as if that is an accessory for him his red and white costume so the error here is that lifelines wearing stalkers chest armor and it is suddenly a different color
1: got it that yeah it sort of threw me that dialogue because it was like well looks like stalker's still colored like he's wearing the armor and i can't really tell anything different about Lifeline. so uh but yeah
0: yeah cuz cuz lifeline without the armor has white horizontal stripes on his jumpsuit and his armor looks kind of like white horizontal yeah. stripes so
1: that makes a lot more sense now that you've pointed that out
0: and then uh maybe worth mentioning just uh sort of one last tease the last page of 39 in the inside back cover of 39 is a two-page spread teaser ad for what's going to happen in this comic book in may so in a few months, this it says, this spring, G.I. Joe, as you know it, will end. And it's all red, and you see some shadows. And it says, G.I. Joe, and the logo's cracked up. Rise of the red shadows. Ah,
1: right. Good That's at the very back of 39.
0: Yes, that is the last page and inside back cover of 39.
1: How annoying. I got rid of that one. I was very cavalier with, uh, with the way I edited these. I got rid of some pages that I should really have
0: kept onto, but... Uh since i know you're doing the video i'll i'll send you a photo or a scan <laughs>
1: i don't know that i am doing the video but maybe Oh <laughs> uh, do yeah the video is just it's a lot to do if i'm doing it weekly that um the, the, it takes you know a fair amount of time to do the audio edit and then the video edit is is probably double that time again almost so yeah i can i can cope i can cope with it doing kind of a monthly main book yeah i've, I've not been trying to pick up the slack where where jay hadn't been keeping up the videos. so what
0: was the last video for a devil's do
1: 26 scott sturgis is a reasonable man it's the last one. It's, it's not it's not crazy crazy behind but um
0: the so audio podcast is the priority and you do a lot of work and a great job with that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah quote of the week 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 Uh, So I had one favourite line of dialogue this week. Lady J, I always like the trash-talking, and uh, she says to Zanya, five minutes after I met you, I knew. I said to myself, before this week is through, I'm going to end up smacking that little skank. (laughs) Yeah, ten out of ten, trash-talking. Thanks, Lady J. Uh,
0: But what's your yo jo yo jo cola nut. Great
1: soda! It's Yo Joedge time. Yeah. So, Chris, what what's your Yo Jo scoreage on this one?
2: I'd have to say um, I didn't do a Yo Jo scoreage on the first one. Are we doing them together? No, let's do them together as a okay. as a two part, two part. Uh, yeah. If I'm giving yeah giving both of them a Yo score, I think the first one would. Have, okay. So if I'm giving this out a score out of ten, I would probably say it, it hits. Close to the middle for me, like maybe like a four point five or a five, because I think the first issue I actually really like the pacing, but there are some aspects to it that aren't great. But it's it's you know it's a decent comic. It stands stands alone as a pretty good one. I don't. I think this one is just like like Tim said. It is cramped. It is rushed. It's got so many characters in it. It needed a couple of a couple more issues to get this storyline out and it's all too many quick resolutions and not even like resolutions but just like you know it's like we've attacked the pit we've lost we've 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 evacuated we're out it's like that you didn't do any damage you threw a grenade in there like that's it it's not like you know i just see it just seems like i don't know it just seems very quick and the same with destro it's like we've got him and now the baroness is flying away and she's going to blow up and etc cetera, etc cetera and it's all just really quick i think that needed a bit more of an impact it needed a bit more of a you know like like i said another issue to really trail that out a little bit uh and then really hit destro hard so uh, yeah i think overall about about i'll i'll give it a generous 5 over both issues
1: okay my yo, Joe. It's difficult because actually, I think I would have given these two issues quite different scores. I, I thought that issue thirty-eight was very strong. I thought it was a lot crammed in there, but it sort of pepped along, and you know, very solid action sequences. You know, very deft juggling of the the different threads. Um, you know, good uh, good art from the the guest artist there. I'd probably go in with a, a seven for that one. Issue thirty nine, I think, just suffers from from too too much, and in, uh, in in the issue, uh, similar similar to the the earlier Blaylock issues, just felt too too packed in, um, needed more pages or, or dropping something, and just get giving things room to breathe and a little more little bit more clarity on on certain elements. So so that's probably closer to to a five. So I guess I guess that means it averages out at six, but I did enjoy it. Uh, I would go back to them. Um, So so I'm going to bump it up a half point. Six and a half. Uh,
0: Yeah, for me, uh, 38 is a a five, maybe a six. 39 is a four. So these two issues for this episode average to a five.
1: Um, So that is us done with that issue. Next time on Talking Joe Disavowed, we will continue our look at this era with the next two issues. Uh, which would be 40 and 41. So parts five and six of Union of the Snake. Back on the regular show, we're continuing to cover ARA as it comes out. So uh, we are going all in as the drumbeat to issue 300 continues. Uh,
0: where can people find you, Tim? Uh, video essays from my company are at... Uh, our YouTube page, which is Atomic Abe Productions, and my comic book store in Somerville, Massachusetts, is Hub Comics, and my GI Joe blog is a real American book.com. Um,
1: you can find Talking Joe on the usual places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has links to all of those places, such as the Facebook group where you can discuss manner of things including the latest episodes uh, talking joe on twitter talking joe on instagram you can leave us a voice message via our website and you can also support us via patreon patreon.com talking joe uh, big thanks to our backers richard sam jay bill christopher justin and rob who are getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content and I've already recorded the outro, uh, so uh, hopefully that is all good. Now, Chris, where can people find you? You
2: can find me at the Full Force Podcast on pretty much all places, all platforms. Um, obviously, YouTube, which is where we're kind of um, our main kind of uh, output is, but then also on uh, Podbean, iTunes, and Stitcher. And of course, Facebook, Twitter, Patreon as well. Uh, if you want to give us money for the stuff, it's amazing. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's where you can find me and the Full Force Podcast.
1: Cool. And maybe, Chris, you can join us in the outro. Uh, and with with all of that said and done, remember that Nobody Beats Talking Joe!
0: An international podcast!
1: With two guys from England, one of them actually in England, one of them in America, and uh, some other guys, too. Laters.